So it is super important when we read from the Bible that we try to place ourselves in the mindset and in the world of those who would have been the first readers of Scripture. That, that absolutely, we can read the Bible and we can get something from it and God can speak to us through it, but we have to understand that the Bible wasn't written specifically to you and I. We were not the first recipients of Scripture. And the various books of the Bible were written at particular times in history in response to events and to perspectives and to people who are some, in some ways similar to you and I because people are always people and will always be people, and so there are similarities to that. But also people who were very different. And the differences between then and now don't preclude us from being impacted by the words of Scripture. In fact, when we understand those differences, when we appreciate the differences between our world and theirs, and understanding what they would have experienced when they first read Scripture, it can actually help us in our reading of, of Scripture and experience that for ourselves in relevant ways. So the Gospel of Mark, which is where our reading was drawn from for today, was actually written about 40 years after Jesus died and rose. And it was written at a time of great upheaval in what we now know as the Middle East. There was a lot going on in that time period, the Roman occupation of Jerusalem and Judea and that part of the world had turned particularly violent. There was an armed revolt by some radical separatists against Rome, and, and, and a war was raging between this group of people who wanted uh, independence from Rome and, and, and the Roman armies, so much so that the, they burned Jerusalem to the ground as part of this war. On top of that, Rome, which was ruled by emperors, went through a one-year time period where they had four emperors over the course of a year. Each one was responsible for the death of his predecessor in some way. So not only is there violence, not only is there death, not only uh, is there suffering uh, by the, the people who were subjugated by the Romans, but the Romans themselves did not have their house in order. And as Jerusalem was burned to the ground, the, the temple that had, many believed would be where the Messiah would return and the reign of God would begin, that had been destroyed. And there was this scattering of the surviving Jewish population, and some historians have estimated up to a million people who lived in Jerusalem died during that time period. To a people devastated by war and famine and death and displacement, not only amongst the Jewish population, but also those on the margins of the non-Jewish population the poor and the outcasts, the, the class of people who seem to always be impacted the most when there's widespread catastrophe. To these people comes the gospel of Mark, a people who were desperately in need of some good news. And Mark begins this good news not about Jesus, but about the one who would come before Jesus. 
He tells of John the Baptist, this weird guy who's, who's preaching in the desert, uh, and he, he positions John as a, the fulfillment of this prophecy, as the one who would prepare the way for the Lord. Now, if you're Mark and you're writing to a devastated people who very likely would have known very little about Jesus, because you got to remember back then, there was no social media or live streaming of sermons or any of the things that we've come to, uh, to rely on to, to help us uh, ha- gain, gain attention or to, that we give our attention to to learn about famous people. There was no Wikipedia page for Jesus in the first century. So most people, they might have heard of Jesus, but they didn't really know what he was about. They didn't really know much of what he did. And these people would have likely known nothing about John the Baptist, because if you keep reading through the Gospels, he eventually disappears from the scene pretty quickly. Why, if you are Mark, would you start the story this way? Why would you ground the good news about Jesus in a prophecy of Isaiah? And why would that bring encouragement and inspiration to those in the first century? And maybe a more relevant question for you and for I, how does that grounding be a source of encouragement and inspiration for us 2,000 years later. We'll talk about that in a minute. But several years ago, Laura and I were on our way to a conference. It was uh, being held down at, at a church in Dayton. And now this was like 2010, 2011-ish. So this was before everybody had GPSs on their phones. We had to rely on those little Garmin devices. Do we remember the Garmin devices that you had to attach to your, to your, uh, to your dashboard? And, and, and they didn't update automatically. So if you, they housed the maps in the device and you had to plug it into your computer in order to get the updated maps for where you were going. Well, we had a Garmin. Uh, we weren't particularly vigilant about updating it. Uh, and so, but that was how we were going to get to where we were going. So we hit the road, we plug in the address of the church that we're trying to go to, uh, and it, it looked pretty straightforward from, from Toledo where we were living. You just straight down 75, you hit Route 4, go down about a couple of miles, there's an exit. Don't remember the exit number, let's call it Exit 10. Uh, you get off at Exit 10 and the church is about a mile down the road, right? No big deal, seems like an easy trip. So we're coming up to where the GPS says Exit 10 should be, and there's no exit 10, nowhere to be found. And so we're, we're driving, looking for it, and all of a sudden we hear that dreaded voice that comes out of the GPS recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. And so it tells us we have to turn around. So we, we get off the highway going one direction, and we, we get back on going the other. We're going down a little bit. The GPS seems to be tracking, and again, all of a sudden, recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. And we go this, we go this way for two or three uh, different times, and then we realized what the problem was. So this is a map of the area that we were in. Uh, for, I, I pulled this up this week. So you see the, the, in the red circle there, there's kind of this spaghetti uh, of roads and, and lanes, right? So in 2010, 2011, we were driving down there. Several of those didn't exist. And when we were driving, apparently they had started construction projects somewhere between the time we were taking our trip and uh, when we had last updated our Garmin. And so actually, exit 10 wasn't just not there, it had been completely torn down. 
and was no longer a route that we could take. It was no longer an option. The way that we had planned our route to get to where we were going was no longer an option. The people of the first century, for whom Mark was presumably writing to, the route that they had taken to get to God their entire lives was no longer an option. The, the, the temple worship, the ritual sacrifices, the adherence to Old Testament law had been so disrupted by the destruction of the temple and the disbursement of the people that for most, that engagement with God was no longer an option. What they needed was a new vision for a new path by which they would get to God and God would get to them. Which is why the beginning of Mark's gospel is really, really good news. Mark calls to mind a quote that was attributed to the prophecy of of Isaiah that described a messenger from God who would come to the people, who would challenge them to change. And we all know how much people love being challenged to change, right? But who would also give them this new vision, would lead them out of suffering and into God's favor. And John the Baptist arrives on the scene at one of these times. The people are suffering under the weight of Roman oppression, but they're also unable to bear the spiritual burdens that have been placed on them by the religious elite. This this hyper-legalism and adherence to the law as the only way to engage and be acceptable to God. And to these people, John comes with a message, a different way of getting to God. He says, repent, change your hearts and lives. Demonstrate that you want God to forgive your sins and be baptized as a sign of that repentance. To John's audience that day and to Mark's readers 40 years later, this was a path that they saw they could actually travel. It had not been made impassable by religious burden or societal devastation. But in their search for a path, for a road, for a highway that led to God, John's audience and Mark's readers we're missing one crucial detail. That it's not humans, not them, not you, not me, who are to travel down the road to get to God. It is God who comes to us down the path that's been made straight by the one who prepares it. As they heard John's message, responded with a desire to change, thinking that this would finally be the change that would lead them to God. John tells them that the road that had been made straight was not meant for them to travel down, but for God to come from heaven to meet them where they already were. He says in verse 7, One stronger than I am is coming after me. I'm not even worthy to bend over and loosen the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. 
to a Jew or a marginalized Gentile in 70 AD amidst the turmoil of the world and the destruction of the only religious life most of them had ever known. The thought of getting to God would have been overwhelming. The message that it's not humans that must strive to get to God, but that a path has been made straight for God to get to us. This God who will not only give us unworthy people his grace, but his very spirit so that we don't have to face the struggles of our lives alone, but that this God is with us in the hard things and sees us through to the other side. This message would have been exceptionally good news to the people who first received it. And 2,000 years later, a very different world, a very different cultural context, challenges and struggles that seem far less extreme than what was going on in the seven the 70 AD, the first century, and yet no less real because first world problems are still problems. I don't know about you, but this sounds like exceptionally good news to me. Eventually, Laura and I had to get off the highway we were on because we were not getting anywhere, just constantly recalculating. And when we finally did, the GPS figured out where we were. We, we matched the, the map that was already preloaded in the Garmin, and it set us on a new course to our destination, and we were able to get there. The path that God travels down to get to you requires a same, the same kind of reorientation. It requires repentance. It requires a change of heart and a change of mind, a desire for God to forgive you of your sins and change your life, a turning off of the road that you are traveling down so that your attention can be captured by the God who came to earth as a baby in a manger who lived a perfect life who died a terrible and unjust death, but who rose again to defeat that death and who promises to return to set everything right. That is the God who meets you down the path made straight, who meets you exactly where you are and who you are, but who loves you too much to let you stay that way. And so during this Advent season, spent watching and waiting for the celebration of Jesus' birth, watching and waiting in anticipation for Jesus to return, God is challenging you and I to examine our hearts. What do you need to repent of? What do you need God to change in your life? What do you need forgiveness for so that you might experience the difference that Jesus can and does make in your life? God has already prepared the way. God has made the path 
straight. And God meets you with love and with grace and with power. Would you rise and pray with me? Lord, we give you thanks that you do not leave us alone in our struggles, but that you made a way where there did not seem to be a way. Lord, and in the midst of whatever we're going through right now, there may not seem to be an obvious way to get to you. We may feel like we're in a constant state of recalculating. And yet, Lord, there is a path We find that path in repentance, in desiring a change, in asking for and demonstrating a desire for our sins to be forgiven. And on that path, we don't have to go very far because you meet us. You bring us all the love and the grace and the mercy that led to Christ's death for us. And you fill us with your spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. You send to live inside of us that we may then in turn be people who point to your presence in our midst and point to the path that others might find. And so, Lord, we love you. We thank you. We're grateful for this good news that you have made the path to you straight and that you meet us on it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.